0: Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. So we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians, but I'm going to kind of add a couple of things here because because the Lord's kind of put this in my heart. So I I actually want you to open Isaiah chapter 28 to begin with, Isaiah chapter 28. What we're going to be talking about now in this part of 2 Thessalonians uh, is New Testament order, or discipline in the ranks, if you will, if we're using military uh, terminology. And uh, if you'll remember, we're looking at chapter 3 as these military regulations the things that are necessary for us to walk in victory. And the first thing that we talked about last week was praying for one another and the power of intercessory prayer, and in particular, praying for those who are our pastors. Actually, it wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago, right? Because Massey was here last week. But those who have uh, spiritual authority in our lives and they care for our souls, our spiritual leaders, and our pastors. And today we're going to be beginning, at least, to talk about order within within the church. But I want to start kind of a little bit further away from that in Isaiah chapter 28, because there's something the Lord spoke to me while we were on this retreat, and I just want to blend it into this, and I might preach on it, full-blown preach on it uh, later, and it comes from Isaiah, begins with Isaiah chapter 28, there's a lot of verses, but I want to look uh, at, at this one. So while we were at this retreat on Saturday morning, it wasn't a retreat really, it was a meeting. I don't, I don't know what you call it, I'm just using the word retreat. But while we were at this regional meeting uh, on Saturday morning, the plan was at 8 o'clock in the morning, there was going to be worship. And so that's pretty early, right? So, <laughs> but um, uh, worship began. We got up early, had breakfast, enjoyed the little view of Mount Shasta or whatever, and then got over there for the worship. And when the worship began... Uh, the Holy Spirit just felt. You know, what we're singing this morning, come Holy Spirit, that cry of our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Scripture teaches us that He gives His manifestations as God wills to every member of the body of Christ. Now, I know that a lot of you sit out there and you think, well, that's a really happy that our pastor or the worship team or somebody else is moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that God's doing something, you know, or that they're laying hands on someone and they're getting healed or that they're preaching and somebody's getting saved. But you have to know and understand that New Testament order begins with each one of us being filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit working through our lives as God wills, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so after the worship time, um, I can't remember exactly at what point, but then there was a time where you broke up and you got to know each other better and just talked talk with uh, different people to get to know them. And because we didn't know anybody there, so that was really good for us. And then there was a time of prayer and there was a time of discussing some, some teaching and stuff like that. But at one point, this one guy, and his name was Doug, and I can't remember his last name. I'll. I'll I'll get to know all these guys better, and I can't remember what town he's from, but somewhere up on the border with Oregon, because everybody's somewhere up on the border with Oregon, and, or in Oregon itself, and um, he was sharing something, and he made a statement that was so profound for me. When I heard it, it just was one of those statements that just unlocked all these, these, these corridors. Everything just kind of opened up by this one statement he made. I can't even remember the context he was making the statement in, but I know that he was sharing something with another pastor who was going through some difficult times, okay? And it wasn't something I had never heard before. It was something that I've been hearing over and over again from the Holy Spirit, but haven't been able to put it into words, okay? And so the statement was real simple. He said that God speaks and God is speaking in a different language than he was speaking in before. that God, He didn't say that God is saying something new. He's still saying this, but he's speaking it in a language you don't know so that you will have to um, follow harder after him to hear his voice. You will have to pursue him, and you will have to learn to hear what he's speaking in this new language and he'll give you even greater understanding. And when I heard that, I mean, it registered in my heart because I meet so many people that don't have a clue of what God is saying today, and it's sad because God is speaking, and we need to hear God. But we want God to water down his word. We want him to dumb down his word. We want him to make everything so easy that, you know, that we don't have to work hard to understand it at all. And if that's the kind of school you went to, then you probably have a really bad education because that's not what teachers are supposed to do. They're supposed to take you step by step, you know, word upon word, line upon line, teaching upon teaching, and bring you into an understanding of things that you don't understand before. So in the scripture, in Isaiah chapter 28, it says in verse 9, In verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 28, and if I do a sermon on this at some point, I'm going to start up above it in the verses that's talking about the drunk prophets, and the title of the sermon is going to be, There's Vomit All Over the Table. Sorry, but I'm not going to do that sermon today. But uh, if you look at the context of this, it's pretty amazing that people are listening to the words of drunk prophets, but they're not listening to God. By the way, we sang this song. Our God is an awesome God this morning. I don't know if you know who wrote that song. Rich Mullins wrote that song and performed that song before it became a popular worship song in the church. But just Google it. Find it. If you don't use Google, great. But use some search engine. Find the lyrics to that song and just just listen to them. They, They are powerful. It starts off with my favorite lines at the beginning. It says, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God. And it's all about that that, that there's going to be, there is judgment poured out on Sodom, but there's mercy poured out at the cross. And, and our God is on the move, and he's coming back very soon. So the word that's spoken here, Isaiah, is, is real sharp. It's real powerful. And I'm just going to start with verse 9. And if we ever do this, we'll get into the vomit part later. But in verse 9, it says, to whom, he's talking to his people, God speaking to his people through the prophet. He says, to whom would he teach knowledge? And to whom would he interpret the message? You see, God's message needs an interpretation. Okay? It's not enough for somebody just to read the Bible. They need that interpreted. They need to have an understanding of that. You know, if you try to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit you're not going to understand a whole lot there. But if you'll listen, the Holy Spirit will speak to you through the words of Scripture, and he will give you interpretation. So he says, to whom would he teach knowledge, and to whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk, those just taken from the breast. So that has a lot of imagery in the New Testament also. For he says, order on order, order on order. Line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. That's how revelation comes to us. Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He who said to them, here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose, but they would not listen. Do you know where that's quoted in the New Testament? In the New Testament, that's quoted in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So go with me over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and beginning with verse 20, speaking about the gifts of the Spirit, and in particular, chapter 14, speaking about those gifts that are operating most on, on the largest scale, let me put it that way, amongst Christians, amongst believers in the church, speaking about the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues and prophecy, the gifts of utterance when we speak. He says in verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, So this is what we just read in Isaiah. By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter they will not say will they not say that you are mad but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters he is corrected by all he is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he will fall in the space and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you now I'm not going to teach on speaking in tongues and prophecy uh, this morning but But it's actually not a difficult teaching. It's not a difficult thing to understand. But what he's talking about here in particular in bringing correction to them is that when they gather together as a church, for us it would be English, that they need to speak the word of God in English. Even if they're speaking and praying in tongues, there needs to be interpretation. The things that God has put in your heart in the secret needs to come out publicly in a way that other people can understand that. But I want you to notice that he said that tongues are for a sign. Tongues are for a sign. And it's a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. And what does that mean? Well, in the context, he says that if someone's speaking in tongues and they hear you speaking in tongues, they're going to say that you're crazy because they don't understand what you're saying. Right? So it's a sign to them. See, tongues has a way of being a, a sign. So let me just tell you this. When I moved to actually, before I moved to Russia, in 1991, the first trip that I made to Russia, God put it in my heart to learn the Russian language. And I told that to people, I'm going to learn the Russian language. And they said, you're never going to learn the Russian language. It's impossible for you to learn the Russian language. It's one of the most difficult languages in the world, and you'll never learn it. And I didn't listen to them. I said, no, I'm going to learn the Russian language, because that's what God put in my heart. And I prayed to God. And I said, Lord, you gave me the gift of speaking in other tongues. When I was 15 years old, you poured your Holy Spirit out upon me. I didn't understand anything, so it took another three years before I had to get re-baptized in the Holy Spirit, because that's how hard-headed I am, and that's okay. And then it took another couple of years before I was comfortable with it, because I had so much teaching that that was from the devil, that there's something wrong with that and everything. But I knew that it's in the Bible, that this is God's word, and I wanted this, and I hungered after you. And so I said to God, I want you to pour out your Holy Spirit on me, and I want you to give me the gift of speaking in Russian. Okay? And he did that. It didn't happen instantaneously, but he did that. But this is what I wanted to say to you. To learn to speak in Russian, why did I want to learn to speak in Russian? Number one, because I just knew I will never know these people if I can't speak their language. I can't know a person through an interpreter, through a translator. I'll never really know them, right? And then once I learned Russian language, I found something out amazing. The first year I was learning. That God speaks Russian, that blew me away. I, literally, that blew me away. God, I was in a, I was in a subway. If, if you watch any of that Tucker Carlson stuff, he was in one too. I was in this subway, and I'm going on this subway train, and I keep hearing the same announcement be made over and over and over again, and I can't understand it. And all of a sudden, I can't. You know, it's over a period of time. Uh, one day, I'm in that subway, and I hear that announcement. It's the same announcement, it's just being played on a, you know, it's recorded. I hear that announcement, and all of a sudden I understand the words, and not only do I understand the words, but God spoke a prophecy. He spoke a word to me personally that still ministers to me this day. And I was blown away. God speaks Russian, as it turns out. And then to this day, I'll read the same scripture in English, I'll look at it in Greek or Hebrew, and then I'll read it in Russian because you get a different point of view. It's drawn, the picture's drawn in a different way in a different language. But this is what I wanted to say to you. In order for me to learn Russian, and it was the same for me to have the gift of speaking in other tongues flowing in my life, which it does flow in my life, but it wasn't just you know, gonna happen if I didn't pursue it. Because I had to pursue these things. You know, I had to cry out to God you know, come Holy Spirit into my life. I remember on my knees praying to God. I'm tired of believing what people say. It's like prophets vomit all over the table. I believe what your word says. This is what the Bible says. And I want this in my life. And I have no idea how, I, how to get this. But I want this in my life. You know, we have to pursue God if we want to hear God. That's the first thing I want to say to you about the order of God is we need to be people who love the truth. To love the truth doesn't mean that we like the truth, okay? To love the truth doesn't mean we agree with the truth. To love the truth means that we're going to dig. We're going to pursue the truth of God. You know, it's a treasure that's buried. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, That a man went out into a field and he found a treasure. And he wanted to take that treasure. But he can't take the treasure for a very simple reason, that the field does not belong to him. Yeah, I came over to to your house. I went over to Shaleen. She was having one of those cool parties she's having. I'm walking around, kicking around some sagebrush out there. And man, I find a bunch of gold. Well, I can't just take that gold. That's Todd and Shaleen's gold, probably. So what do I do if I want that treasure? I hope that they don't know about it, and it turns out they don't know anything about that treasure. And so I go and sell every single thing I have and get together every stick of money I can get. I get some investors, some secret friends to give me money, and then I say, hey, can I buy your house from you? And Oh, yeah, that's going to cost you this much, that much. Yeah, OK, I'll pay you that. Here's the cash, and they sell me the house. Why do I want their house? I don't care about the house. I don't care about the land. I care about the treasure. That's a parable of Jesus. He told this parable that a man went and sold everything that he had because there's the pearl of the greatest price. There's a treasure on that land that I have to have. That's what I mean when I'm talking about the love of the truth. God is speaking in a language today that we can't just understand if we're not pursuing him, if we're not seeking to understand him. When I first started learning Russian, and to this day, but I'm actually not so comfortable with public speaking in English, by the way. <laughs> but, but, but in Russian especially to this day, but when I first started preaching in Russian, you know, I had to totally die to self, because I know that I'm not saying all those words the right way, that, you know, my accent is really weird, and all these kinds of things. There's a lot there, When you're trying to learn another language, And it's it's one thing to take Spanish in school and nobody knows Spanish anyway, right? But if you're immersed in a culture, you see, and you want to speak to those people, then you have to be willing to look like an idiot, okay? You have to be willing to be corrected over and over again. You have to be willing to listen to people snicker and laugh about it. And it's going to hurt your feelings. But you have to say, my feelings don't care. I want this so bad, that I'm willing to press through all of this so that I can learn this this language. And isn't that true with everything in life? You know, you have to be willing to press through if you want to acquire that treasure, if you really want that. It's not going to just happen, you know, without pursuing after that, that treasure. So this pursuit of God, I just want to stir that up in you this morning. And maybe that statement is profound enough for you as it was for me that that will stay in your heart and the Lord will continue to speak to you through that. Now go with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Everything that I've said has a direct correlation to what we're going to be looking at here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're talking about maintaining New Testament order among ourselves and in the church. And I want to begin with uh, verse 6. This is where we left off a couple of weeks ago. And let me read verses 6 through 13, and then we'll go back and look at them. It says in verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that what we're going to read now is given as a command. Okay? This is a military command. You don't have a choice in this. This is required for our victory. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working day and night so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. This is the order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Okay? And we're going to add to this verses 14 and 15 here either later on in this message, depending on how much time we've got here, or next week we'll start, we'll start with that. But That goes together with that. So the first thing I want to look at is this fourfold command. Because this is a fourfold command. It has four actions that are required in this command. Now I'll just give those to you. The first one in verse 6 is that you keep away from certain people that you avoid certain people. The second one in verses 7 through 9 is a command that you follow our example. And the third one is in verses 10 through 12, it's a command that you work, just that you work. And in verse 13, it's a command that you do not grow weary in the work that you are doing. So it's a fourfold command, and let's begin at the beginning. In verse 6, he says that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. So, down here a little bit, you know, later, where we're talking about work, he's talking about whoever doesn't work should not eat. And I want to draw something out of this right here in the beginning so that you see this. That there are, that, that has a direct uh, material or physical application to, to life. That is like a statement that anybody would say anywhere. Well, not anymore. Th- these days they say it different. He who does not work, he's the one that gets to eat. <laughs> but, I mean, we've built a whole society where it's more advantageous sometimes not to work, right? But in general, every parent would say this to their kid, you know, if you want to eat, you got to do the work. You got you to do your chores. If you do not work, then you do not eat. But I want you to see right away, because I don't want you to miss this, that this has a very direct spiritual application to us, because he's actually talking about people who are undisciplined according to the traditions that we gave you, according to the word that we preached. And so what we're eating is the word of God, okay? I'm not diminishing the material application, because that's true too. And if there's somebody that's so lazy that they're not doing anything and they don't want to help with anything, then that applies to them. But we can be lazy or distracted spiritually, even though we're working really hard and have a good work ethic in the natural, right? And so what he's talking about, first and foremost, is the spiritual application, that there is the work of the gospel And whoever is not working in the gospel, they're not eating the word of God. They're not receiving the word of God. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. So he's saying people act unruly. They're undisciplined according to these traditions. And what does he say we need to do? He gives us a command that we stay away from these people, that we avoid these people. Now, I'm not going to give it all to you now, and it might not all come out today. So you're going to have to hold on for the next message, but there's... Strict, there's strict application or uh, instruction on how to do this and what this actually means in First Corinthians, and we're going to look at that. But before we do, you first have to just hear the command. The instructions are given also, but first you need to hear the command keep away from them, avoid them. So, this word in the Greek is a verb, stelo. And in the middle voice, it means to shrink back from someone, to check yourself in relationship to that, to that person, to check yourself, to shrink from them, to avoid them. And this word is used also as a military term. And as a military term, and this is really what I want you to hear, it means to muster the troops, to gather the troops together. Okay? He's saying, we're mustering the troops, we're gathering the troops together, and you need to, everyone who's involved, Paul says uh, to Timothy, that whoever's a soldier, he does not involve himself with the affairs of the world. He has to say goodbye to his family, goodbye to his job, you know, he's got to go to war, he's got to go to the muster, he's got to join the troops. And what he's saying is it's a time for you to get very serious and you need to gather yourselves together as the people of God and separate yourselves from every person who leads an unruly life. Now notice that he says from every brother who leads an unruly life. He's not talking about people that live in the world, and we'll get into that later. He's not talking about unbelievers here. In particular, he's talking about bringing discipline and order into the ranks of the church, those who walk about in an undisciplined manner. So in verse seven, in verse seven, uh, we have the exact same words. So in verse six, he says, "An unruly life. Lead an unruly life." In verse seven, he says we uh, did not act in an undisciplined manner. In the Greek, those are exact same words. In my Bible, they're translated a little bit different. Unruly, undisciplined. But in the Greek, he repeats the exact same words. He says, separate yourself from those people that are undisciplined. They're not, they're not, they're not playing on the team according to the rules. They're not listening to the coach, okay? They're not under the command of the... Of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. They're not with the program. They're not enjoying the work. They're sitting around picking their nose watching you do the work, and all they're doing, they're not just lazy. It's not just laziness. They are hindering the work. And you need to separate yourselves from those brothers. Separate yourselves from them. And then he uses it again in verse 11. He says, We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Life. This is a Greek word, a We have an English word, tact. Okay? Tact. That comes from the root of this word. And it, and it is also a military term. And it means that they are leading a life or they are walking about in disarray. They're not in battle order. They are undisciplined. Okay? Then look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says, to follow our example. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. This is a Greek word. I'm giving you lots of Greek words today. You don't have to remember them. There's not going to be a test. But This is a Greek word, mimeome. Mimeome. It's where we get our word mime or mimic. He's saying, or imitate. He's saying, imitate us. Mimic us. I want to tell you something. I'm talking about pursuing God, okay? It's, it's real easy to sit at the table that the false prophets are covering with vomit. It's real easy just to listen to everything everybody's always saying. And I don't like using words like vomit in church. I just heard a whole sermon on manure last week, and it was a great sermon. I, I did. It was a really good sermon. In fact, I just wanted to send it around to everybody. To listen, it was a really good sermon by this, this guy. He's a preacher, and he He's been a farmer all his life, and so he knows a lot about manure, and he's just going, manure, 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 and and everybody's like, he goes, you know what, you guys don't like to hear that, do you? And you could tell they probably said no. And he said, well, I'm just going to keep saying it. Manure, manure, manure. So I don't like talking about vomit, but it's God's word. It's there in Isaiah. But, you know, how much vomit has gone into your ears this week? And how much have you spewed on other people? You know what I'm saying? Most of the stuff that's being talked all the time, it's just verbal vomit. And it's really easy to listen to that. It's really easy to sit at that, that nasty table, but it's an unruly and undisciplined life. They're not in battle array. They're not ready for the battle because they're drunk. They're not in their, in their positions. They're not in their place. And again, yeah, you could apply this to actual material things in life. Somebody that's just living a drunken, physically drunken life but let's think about it spiritual, because that's how it's written in the first place. It's talking about the words of these prophets. You know, I mean, how, how many things do you just listen to in the internet? You know, I'm listening to this, I'm listening to this. Somebody sent me this sermon, somebody gave me this book, and I'm reading it, and I'm listening, and I'm listening. And at the end of the day, I'm completely confused. I have no idea what God's saying. Because I'm not listening to God, I'm just listening to a whole lot of stuff. Understand? But to listen to God, then we have to pursue God. And if we're going to pursue God... Paul says, imitate us. Mimic us. Imitate us. Because we have worked hard in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how easy it is to imitate? A lot of people say, well, I'm too dumb to learn that. Or I've heard people say, I've literally heard this statement exactly like this. And I know, I think you're not supposed to use this word anymore because it's not PC or something, but it's still a good word. I literally heard somebody say to me, I am too spiritually retarded to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. I want to, but I'm too spiritually retarded. That's the stupidest statement that you could ever make. That's like saying, you know, I'm too dumb to go to school and learn the uh, the multiplication tables. No, you're not. How did you learn the multiplication tables? By imitation. You had to repeat it over and over again. And you had to repeat it to the point that you knew it by memory. That's how we learn things. So Paul's saying this is not difficult. Get in line and get in step and begin to follow the orders of God. Imitate us. Mimic us. Anybody can mimic. Anybody can imitate he said, what did we do when we were there? He said, we did not eat bread from anyone freely. In the Greek, and it, it's just hard to, it says it good, and that's why I like reading it in other languages and listening to God in other languages. But in Russian, it comes out perfect here. But it's, I tried to make it into an English sentence, and it just doesn't work like that in English. But what he's literally saying is that we did not take for granted the bread that we ate, okay? And, and Paul's talking about a very physical fact, but he's using it as a spiritual example, okay? Because when he was there, he's saying that when we came to you in Thessaloniki, we did not take up an offering and have you pay for our hotel rooms and have you feed us, okay? He said we paid our own way. We came with money, We have supporters in Antioch, we have supporters over there in Asia Minor, we've got all these people supporting us, plus I know how to make tents if I need to, and when we came to you, we preached the gospel to you completely free, and we worked really hard. You know, I've told you that Paul was in Thessaloniki, some people say for up to three months, if you read it really carefully, he was probably there for one month. And in that one month time, he taught them about the second coming of Jesus Christ. He went into so much detail of the gospel. And I don't know if you've ever uh, done that before as a preacher or as a teacher in any area. That means Paul worked really hard. He had to get his notes ready. He was up late at night. You know, he was really giving He had to get the scrolls. They didn't have... Phones on their, uh, you know, phones with the Bible on them or something. And they didn't have little pocket Bibles you could carry around either. He had to have scrolls, you know. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. But he was prepared. He said, I preached the gospel to you. And I, di- I didn't take the bread that I ate for granted. And so he's saying, I want you to mimic me. Listen to me. When God preaches his word to you, when the Lord shares his word with you, what I'm doing right now is just... Sharing with you what the Lord is speaking. Do not take it for granted. Don't just eat at the table and not work. You're receiving the Word of God so that you can be strengthened to do the work of the gospel. Because if you don't work, what happens? You just get fat. And when you get fat, you don't feel happy, do you? You just get lazy. You're just eating and taking it all for granted. So he's saying, don't take it for granted. Imitate us. We work night and day so that we would not be a burden to the church. Now, this idea of being a burden to the church is something that comes out in several places in Paul's writing. And it's a principle that nobody should be a burden to the church. You know, he talks about widows. And some of the stuff he says about widows sounds kind of harsh, actually. He sets out distinct rules. He even says a widow has to be 60 years old or we, we're not going to support her in the church financially. If she's younger than 60, get married again. mean, it literally says that. Get a job. Do something. You know, <laughs> we're not about supporting people that can support themselves. That's not what the church is here for. We're here to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if a widow does come into the church and we support her financially, Paul says, then she needs to be dedicated to the church. You know, she'll be cleaning floors and praying and and going around the church praying, you know, and whatever, you know, really spiritually committed to to the church that she's still going to work. Okay? Because nobody can be a burden to the church. You know, nobody should be a burden to the team. Nobody should be a burden to the troops. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody has a role to play. Every member of the body is important. And there are no unimportant members in the body. Do you know that? I mean, just try breaking your little toe and you find it out really quick. Because it doesn't matter what member of your body it is, to every single member of our body, God has so designed our body that the nerves are connected there to make you scream in pain. As C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Every member of the body is important. And that pain is telling you that is important. So there's nobody in this church who's unimportant. There's nobody in this church who God doesn't want to work through your life. So this is really, this command isn't a command sent to condemn anybody it's a it's a command that challenges everybody hey you've been picked for this team do you know that you've been picked for the team you know, you've actually been drafted you made the draft well I wasn't in the first round big deal how many people dream of making the draft you made the draft you're on the team why did God pick me it doesn't matter he's the coach he's in charge he picked you for the team So that means get in order, get in line, and begin to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we imitate Jesus? Well, the Bible way isn't just reading the Bible and doing what Jesus did. The Bible way is called discipleship, that we imitate people who are imitating Jesus. We follow other people who are following Jesus. You know, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Does that mean our leaders are infallible? Of course not. One of the things that you should be able to see in leaders, that's why I always encourage parents, please, parents, be the kind of people who are humble enough to say you're sorry to your own kids. Allow them to see that you know how to repent because you will fail in front of their eyes. But if all they see is this pride, they'll never learn to ask forgiveness. And so there's, even in our failures, there's an opportunity to show people to Jesus. People need to see that even in our failures, we, we ask forgiveness and God restores us. He forgives us, right? He heals us. He sets us back in place. So if we're following Christ, never forget that somebody's watching you. You are a leader because somebody is watching you. I'd say, well, I'm not, you know, a big leader in the church or something like that. Well, does, every member of the body is important, so everybody's leading in some area. Everybody's pastoring in some area. Somebody's watching you, so let them see Jesus in your life, even through your failures, even through the things that you do wrong. So this is how we learn: is we learn by following the example. So let me say something. The first one was about avoiding. You know, if you look, and your spiritual leader. You know, if you look at kids, young people, if your parents are following Jesus, right? And if they're not, well, you're, and you're listening to me, you came to church because somebody's following Jesus, that you're listening to, grandparents, somebody else, right? If they're following Jesus and they're saying, maybe they're saying it in a way that they don't know how to say it, trust me, we don't always know how to talk to teenagers, you know, we don't know exactly what to say sometimes, But but they're saying, hey, you need to avoid this. Okay, take that seriously. Just think. Maybe my parents or grandparents know something. Have enough wisdom to say, if they say to avoid it, then I need to avoid it. You know, in the church, if your pastor, your leaders are saying, we need to avoid this. This teaching is poison. This is not good then don't go around and sneaking around sharing those videos with everybody because you're not going to avoid it because I'm not going to listen to pastor. Okay, then don't listen to pastor. But you're not listening to pastor is to your own hurt. Because I can promise you as a pastor, I'm not going to tell you to avoid anything. I don't care what you listen to. I don't want to know what you listen to. But if it's poisonous and it's deadly for the church and for you, and I'm telling you that I've experienced that, and this is what God is saying, this is what God's word says, then avoid that doctrine. Avoid that table that's covered with vomit. Avoid those people. You know, and we're going to get into this more later, and I know it's not going to happen today, because I can see by the time we're going to finish this later. We're going to, I'm going to get into detailed instructions about this. But if the, the church leadership uh, has taken a stance, and I can't remember the last time that, I, I literally can't remember the last time that we had to, you know, tell somebody, you're not allowed to come back to this church anymore. There, th- Actually, I do think I do remember, but, but most people would probably agree with that one because it was a little dangerous. But, but anyway, um, if the church leadership has taken a stance, and, and this happens quite often, and somebody gets offended and they leave the church, well, I'm not going back to that church because that's the stance the church has taken. You know what people in the church always do? don't no, oh, want. Well, it's okay, I know, our pastor's kind of mean and start feeling sorry for everybody and start, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Well, you, you, you can do that, I don't care. But you're just hurting your own self. You know, take a stand together, come together. The discipline that God wants to see in the body of Christ is that we stand this together. Because this idea of an undisciplined life, listen, this is important. It's not actually, when you read that, you might think of somebody that's lazy, But they're not lazy, because he says they're busy bodies. A busy person isn't a lazy person, is he? They're just busy about the wrong thing, okay? So it's not really describing someone who's lazy in the work of Christ. It's describing someone who is disruptive in the work of Christ. Someone who receives the bread of the word of God that's being preached, but they do not take responsibility for that Word that they receive, and they become a burden to the church. I would say it's like this. It's a baby that just refuses to grow up. A baby is a burden, right? Am I right? Babies are a burden. Changing diapers, that's a burden. But it's a happy burden, because that's my baby. But it's not a happy burden if they're 16 years old and they're still wearing diapers, is it? No, I mean, this is a baby that refuses to grow up. You know, it's, it's okay to be an imbecile. It's, it's okay to be uneducated. Maybe imbecile isn't the right word there, I don't know. But, but it's okay to be stupid, okay? But if you're, if you're stupid when you finish 12th grade, something's wrong, okay? You refuse to learn. You refuse to grow up. And this theme ha- is reoccurring in the New Testament. You know, it's written in Hebrews that we've been going through on Wednesday nights, that by this time, you all ought to be teachers already. But you still need me to come back and give you the basic things of God's word. Okay, You ought to be teachers of other people already. So, follow our example. Just imitate. Anybody can do that. It's easy to imitate. The next one, in verses 10 through 12, he talks about working. That these people, they eat, but they do not engage in the work. It says that they are busybodies. Well, the Greek word for busybody is exactly the same as the English word busybody, so I'm not even going to give it to you. These are people that are busy running around all the time. What is a busybody? A busybody is someone that disrupts other people's relationships, right? A busybody disrupt, disrupts the relationship between a husband and wife. Am I right? Busybodies love separating husbands and wives. That's their favorite thing. Busybodies love separating churches. They just love that. And how do they do that? They do that with gossip. They do that by spreading half-truths, okay? A half-truth might be a 99% truth, but the 1% poison just poisons the whole well. It destroys everything. And their goal is to separate people and divide people. Why do they want to do that? Well, there's a million reasons why. The why doesn't matter. It's what they do. So stay away from busybodies. Stay away from gossip. Stay away from half-truths. These are people who work hard in everything except for the one thing that we are called to do. And I don't want our church to be a busybody church. We have a mission from God we have a call from God. If, if, if we can't formulate it any other way, then it's called the Great Commission. We are called by God to make disciples of nations, to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to people, to lay hands on the sick so that they would recover. Right? We are called by God to cast out demons, that people would be delivered from the power of Satan. We are called by God to walk in His glory and shine forth that glory as a light on this earth. We are called by God to be the salt of the earth, the preserving power of God that this earth would be preserved. At least this little corner of the world we call Yarrington, okay? We are called by God to be His salt and to be His light in this place. So if we're busy doing things, you know, honestly, as a pastor, I really evaluate in my mind every single thing that we do at the church. Is this furthering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this furthering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it can be, it, it doesn't mean you have to be preaching a sermon. You know, making sauerkraut furthers the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does. And I can explain to you how it does if you want me to. Number one, it does because Tanya is going to teach you. And everything that woman does furthers the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you the truth. I've known her for years, and she is a light that shines the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, because when you learn to do something with your hands and to make something, then it furthers the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it changes you on the inside. It brings a, discipline, a new discipline into your life. Every little tiny thing in the church should be designed that we are preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to to people. How many of you, when you were in school, or if you are in school right now, enjoyed true and false questions on a test? Lisa did. Pete did. He tells you something about somebody's personality. That's weird. I hated true and false questions. And I'm going to tell you why I hate them. Because they were always using them to trick you. You know what I'm saying? They, it'd be a question like, like, I, I don't know. Um, the pulpit that Pastor Kevin is preaching behind today at Garrington Vineyard Fellowship at 307 this long code is gray. And then you'd be like, is it gray or is it black? And you're like, T, true. And then you get back and there's a red check on there. It was false because it's black. They don't give you a chance to say, no, but it's also gray. It depends on how the light's shining on it. You know, that, that's it. If there's one tiny piece of false information in that thing, then the whole thing had to be F, right? And, and, and for it to be T, the whole thing had to be true. And as much as I never liked, I never liked those questions, I actually enjoyed essay questions, because you got a chance to explain what you meant. And I liked writing, but you know the T and F ones, I'd always get some of those, those wrong. Anyway, I thought of that example because this is how busybodies work. They're going to put a whole T statement down for you, but there's going to be one F in there. And you're, putting, you're marking T on this. Oh, yeah, so-and-so told me that. So-and-so told me this. This is true. This is truth. This is truth. And at the end of the day, it's all a bunch of lies, actually, even though it's 99% true. The, the goal of Satan, I mean, this is how Satan works. And I, I've talk, I, for some reason, I talk with Stephen about this a lot because I keep saying this stuff. He's writing to me this thing, that thing. I thought when I was in high school and I read books like *The Late Great Planet Earth* by Hal Lindsey and *666* by Salem, whatever that guy's name was. We had all these end days books that we would read, you know, in our church library. I really thought the coming of the Antichrist was going to be so spectacular. You know, it was going to be like, I don't know, like dragons coming into the city and blowing fire all over everything. And I'm finding out that the devil is so lame, really. And his lameness is what deceives people. I mean, slithering, walking, however that snake thing did this, coming into the garden and saying, oh, look at this fruit. Isn't this wonderful? If you just take a little bite of this, you're going to be like, God, I mean, isn't that lame? And, and that's how his lies always come. And we just so don't want to take a stand, do we? We don't want to, I mean, who wants to say to someone else, I'm not listening to that because that's gossip, and I don't want to hear that. But if we could take stands like that, we might save some of the busybodies. Because the busybodies, and we're going to get into this more later, they are actually our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're not supposed to be counting them as enemies Paul will say here that we are to admonish them, to help them. But we can't help people if we join in with the gossip, if we join in with the blah, 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 that kind of stuff. That's not going to be... How many of you were in something, you know, at work or or a, a, a team, a sports team or somewhere? You know, that kind of talk just is not tolerated in an atmosphere where discipline is required, is it? It's just not tolerated, is it? People get fired over that kind of stuff if they work in an atmosphere where discipline is required, right? A military-type atmosphere, right? It's just not tolerated. So why is it tolerated in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why don't we defend this body and say, you know, no, we're not going to listen to those kind of things. We're not going to, to, to be a part of that kind of stuff. Uh, We are workers, and therefore we eat. And we don't take for granted what we receive from God, but we employ it in the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing, and I'll end with this, is he says in verse 13, he says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. So this is the last part of this fourfold command that he gives. And then we're going to move on with verses 14 and 15. We'll probably finish the whole book next week. But a lot of what I've said to you today, the instructions of it comes in verse 14. So you'll understand it better if you come back next week. But this is the command part of it. The next part of it is the instruction part of it. But as a part of this command, he also gives us a command that we do not grow weary. Now, I'm not going to give you the Greek word here, but I'm just going to tell you what it means. It means that you do not end bad. That's literally what the Greek word means. It does mean not to grow weary, but it means not to end badly, not to fail, not to give up. This is the command that's given when you're coming up to first base and the first base coach is going, go to second, go to second, go to second. You, anybody remember playing baseball and you were running bases? You're not supposed to be looking at that ball. You're not supposed to be looking, you know, at what the fielders are doing. You're supposed to be looking at first base and listening to that coach. Am I right? And if he doesn't give you the command, you better be turning first base to the right, because you better not be slowing down before you get to first base. Am I correct? You have to run. That's why they made that rule. So you can run through first base as long as you turn right. If you turn left, sorry, you're going to get out. Right? But if he says, keep going, then you keep going. Right? And, and everything in life, if we start good, but we finish bad, nobody's going to ever remember how good we started, are they? And so he says, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not end badly. Do not fail. Do not give up. Do not grow weary. You know, I had you praying for Mermans Christian Church here at the beginning of this message. In all the years that we were in Mermansk, and I, I tell you this boldly, through us and through our ministry, God did such good. He did so much good. And so when I see that Satan is attacking that ministry, it doesn't matter to me that I don't live there anymore, that I'm not there anymore, or something like that. Somebody else is a pastor of that. That's still a part of the good that God did through me. So I care about that. I want to see, I want to do what I can to help. I want to pray so that the good doesn't come to an end. You know, I want to see that in my children. I want to see that in my grandchildren. I want to see fruit that remains. I shared that testimony with you at this retreat thing that we were at, and I sent a text to, to Dave just to tell him about that. And I, and I said, and I, the reason I want to tell you this is I want you to know that, you, that your family has fruit that remains not just in Yarrington, but all around the world. And, and I know they know that, but it feels good to hear that doesn't it? It feels good to hear a good report that something that you put a lot of work into, that you've done good, that it's still going, that it's not going to end bad. See, here's the thing about good as an absolute good. Good doesn't stop, okay, until something stops. I think that's one of those, uh, Frank, you just went through that, didn't you? One of those uh, laws of physics from Newton there, you know, like like if I start rolling the ball, it's just going to keep rolling and rolling forever and ever and ever until something stops it, right? Well, good doesn't stop until something stops it. You know, it just keeps producing fruit, producing fruit, producing fruit. And so I say, if, what stops good is when we give up. It's when we quit. You know, people want to quit on their marriage. They want to quit on their relationships. You better make really, really sure that God told you to quit. Because quitting is what stops good. And sometimes we don't see what good God is doing. And that really was an eye-opener for me. I, I had a guy tell me, and I've talked about this. I'm telling you, just be honest with you. Talked about changing the name out there. We're not Vineyard anymore because nobody even knows what vineyard is, and nobody from Vineyard ever comes to visit us, and we don't get anything out of this vineyard thing. And Tom Chisholm left Vineyard. Everybody else left Vineyard. We're the only vineyard left in Nevada. And the only reason I haven't done it is just because I don't like leaving things. I really don't. I don't like quitting. I want to see it through to the end. So I had a guy tell me last week, it was like sort of like supposedly prophetic or something, I, I think God's saying that you need to get out of the vineyard. And wasn't a guy in this church. And so we went up to this retreat, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is it. I'm going to find out if God wants us in the vineyard or not, because if this doesn't go good, then I'm out. And I pretty much already made up my mind, this ain't going to go good. But I kept an open mind about it, Tony was real encouraging, we need to go to this. And if nothing else, we could stay in the cabin and look at Mount Shasta. And... Uh, but, but you don't want to judge things until you really know what you're judging, right? So we're driving up there, and I think somewhere out in the middle of those woods, there, you know, it's just all trees everywhere. At one point, I said, I'm tired. I said, well, I'm going to tell you one thing. This is too far to drive for this. I'm getting all grumpy. Because <laughs> I'm tired. It's a long way to drive. Drive up there, drive right back. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, there's other things I was thinking but I keep, every time I'm saying this stuff, the Holy Spirit's saying, I said, keep an open mind. Keep your heart open. Okay, okay. We're going to have fun. And then I'd and then switch. I'd say, I'm too tired of driving. And then I'd say, oh, but I'm going to have fun. We'll just make it a date, you and me, you know. And I'm trying to keep this positive thing going. You know what? It's like the Holy Spirit just, just so fell in that place. It was so strong. It was so powerful. And I wasn't repenting later because I didn't really do anything wrong. I had reasons to think the things I were, was thinking. But if I had stopped having an open mind, that would have been the sin. If I would have quit and give up, if we would have got to Susanville and say, this place is a dump, I'm not driving any further, I'm going back home. I don't really like Susanville that much, sorry if you do. But, um, if I, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not going back, going to go there. Or like when we pulled up there. I don't like meeting new people, by the way. And uh, Tony goes, I think that's the pastors over there. Go say hi. And I said, how do I know that's the pastors? No, just go into the room, you know. And I'm thinking, somebody should come say hi to me first. Why do I have to go say hi first? You know, that, that kind of feeling, if any of you guys are kind of introverted like that. And, and, you know, if at any point in that, I said, I'm giving up, then I would have missed out on what God wanted to do. And actually, we came home, I was like, "No, we're staying in the vineyard. God is doing something in the vineyard, and we're staying in the vineyard." I'm not going to. I like the name; it's cool. I don't want to take it off the sign. It is a cool name, you know. We're always, Pip, where are you? You know, where are you from? Yarrington Vineyard. Oh, do you guys have good wine there? I said, oh yeah, we got great. Wine. <laughs> Nobody knows it's a church, so it's really a good conversation starter. Also, you know that uh, it's the Yarrington Vineyard. You know how many people look that up online and see, oh the Yarrington Vineyard. I bet people have showed up at this church because they wanted to take a tour and get the, you know, where you get to taste the wine or something. <laughs> well, okay, let them take a tour and get the wine of the Holy Spirit. You know, but we can't give up because if we give up right in the middle of the journey, then the good that God wants to do is going to be thwarted. It'll be stopped. Because nothing will stop good except giving up. So don't grow weary in doing good. Because you will reap and season if you continue to sow and you continue to plant. And the scripture promises that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and it's not fun humbling yourself, but we if you humble the yourself, you leave, he will want to exalt you in new season. Amen? Let's stand together. If you want, in you and I'll and I'll if you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at EarringtonVisionFellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.